Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, folks. David here. Before we get underway with this edition of the Tennis Podcast, I'm here to remind you about US Open Fan Week, which begins Tuesday, August 22nd and runs to Sunday, August 27th. You can get into the grounds at Flushing Meadows free for any of those six days, and there'll be some amazing tennis, star-studded events, and activities for all. They also have ticketed feature events during Fan Week that you don't want to miss, including Stars of the Open on Wednesday, August 23rd. That's scheduled to feature exhibition matches including defending US Open champion Carlos Alcaraz Alina Svitolina, Francis Tiafo, Maria Sakkari, Chris Eubanks, Jessica Bagula, Matteo Berrettini and for the retro lovers amongst you, John McEnroe Flavours of the US Open, the US Open signature culinary event is back on Thursday, August the 24th and will offer attendees a wide range of food and beverage options coupled with celebrity chefs and top tennis talent on the court The US Open is one of the world's highest attended annual sporting events, renowned for providing fans with an unparalleled experience, equal parts, sport and spectacle. And in 2023, the US Open celebrates 50 years of equal prize money for men and women tennis players. In 1973, the US Open became the first of the four Grand Slam tournaments to offer equal prize money, a pioneering move that shook the sport and began to reshape it towards a more equitable future. Main draw of this year's event takes place August the 28th to September the 10th. To learn more about everything happening at the 2023 US Open, visit usopen.org. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Benjamin Weinstein, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, that was a tough act to follow, wasn't it? Thank you to Benjamin, who is 11 years old. Benjamin Weinstein and his intro was bought for him by his dad, Ken. They're from Brookline, Massachusetts and regularly listen on their way to playing tennis together. Benjamin watched his first pro tournament in person at Newport for the semis and finals recently. So I can only assume having watched Adrian Manorino... (laughs) win the title for his first ever tennis watching experience that his tennis fandom is already on the wane. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Uh, I I, I am actually curious. Are are there out there Adrian Manorino fans? I bet my dad's an Adrian Manorino fan. That would be right up his alley. 
I sort of have a, 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 a some something of a curiosity to watch him play against really good players and see how how bananas he can drive them. But but I'm not. I don't think I've ever come across somebody who would call themselves a fan. You have, David, not knowing it, but uh, cameraman Matthew is a big Adrian Manorino fan because he likes his flat backhand. He likes a flat backhand. Mm. In fact, if that's what gets you going, there's there's probably no one (laughs) more exciting for you than Adrian Manorino. And and there is a bit of the constant Lestian about him in terms of just wind up merchant and and sort of doing things differently. So maybe I'm talking myself into getting into Adrian Manorino after about fifteen years of not being into him. Mm. Okay, well you enjoy that, David. Thank you <laughs> once again to Benjamin for that wonderful intro. If you'd like to get yourself an intro to the tennis podcast, get yourself a shout out generally become a friend and support us in what we do then the link to do that is in our show notes matt's here hello matt hello i've, I've had my my pre-grand slam haircut so i'm ready yet yeah, matt's already been compared to carlos alcaraz today mm, in I've appearance peaked. by david because alcaraz one thing that we haven't covered in recent podcasts is alcaraz's fade his new haircut which you put the na- you hit the nail on the head, David. He really, even minor changes to his hair are completely transformative, aren't they? He looks like a different guy just having had sort of half an inch taken off. <laughs> <laughs> it makes him look younger. Um, and and I've I've recently been discovering what the word fade means in terms of haircuts. I mean, I. I you just seem to have them all all up there, Catherine. You know them all off off tap, no problem at I'm all. In touch but with I didn't youth, know what it David. was. Yeah, You've, until you, my... when you're a you when you're a YouTuber, you you have to keep in touch with the <laughs> with the youth lingo, mm. is what I find. Yeah, mm. you you might be wondering why we haven't done any more YouTubes. It's because <laughs> I I've had my fill of the youth <laughs> over the last uh, two weeks. More more YouTube to come, folks. Don't worry. Speaking or of do Alcaraz. worry, depending on how you felt about the YouTube. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Back to the tennis. Well, it's not really tennis. It was just that I I discovered something about Alcaraz. I, I found something that he's bad at. Pray tell. Which is drawing. Did you? Oh. Did you see his attempts on to to draw on the camera the other day? It was there was this incredible look of concentration on his face, and I thought he was going to come up with some kind of masterpiece. And I think he was trying to draw the emoji with the tongue sticking out, and it was it was it was just an absolute disaster. Penis and a scribble. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I, d- I didn't know what it was. I don't even know what that emoji is really that he was trying for. I know I know which one it is, but I don't know what it's supposed to in- imply. And he was terrible at it. Yeah, given the given the focus and concentration that went into it, I can I can only assume he's not very good at at drawing. And I felt I felt somewhat relieved actually. Zverev posted something on some sort of social media the other day implying that he was better than Alcaraz at golf. It was it was mm. a sort of it, the the caption. It was them on a golf course, and it was the caption was something on the lines of "I found something we can beat him at, guys." And I just thought, well, you're never going to beat him at tennis with with, with posts attitude. like that, dude. Yeah, like talk about living rent free in your head enjoy beating him on the golf course mate speaking of Zverev he is currently on my telly playing Daniel Medvedev first match of the day 
in Cincinnati. That one's on the second court. On the centre court, it is Sloane Stevens and Marketa Vondrosheva. Matt has that on his screen. I'm on serve on my match. Matt, where are you? We are at 5-3 in the first set to Vondrosheva. Which the win predictor will feel very validated by. Mm, yeah, they had they had 72% for the for the Wimbledon champion. She's done well since Wimbledon, Von Drosheva. She has. Quietly well. I think she's just, done... Just yeah, one of few matches at sort of every mm. event. You know. Is that well? Well, considering... She could have, <laughs> I think she could have just checked out of the tour for a while, yeah, quite honestly. True. It's such a life <laughs> adjustment. I wasn't expecting her to suddenly win Canada. <laughs> I've got high studs. I actually... The only I forgot that David's the, the guy that... You know, see someone win a slam and then predicts them to win the next twelve. So if she if she was suddenly winning everything that that not come true, is it? We would go, oh yeah, well of course she's you know she's a Wimbledon champion, isn't she? Makes sense, but it also makes sense that she's just sort of doing some winning and some not winning and just generally Vondrosheva ing. The, do you know, the, the only addition, Catherine, that I've made to the agenda after Matt sent it through, and it is comprehensive, we better get on with it, um, is to say what's happened to Chris Eubanks since Wimbledon. And I, and I was just genuinely curious so that I could go and have a look at his results. And Because obviously he didn't win the thing, but he was almost in many ways the, one of the main stories of Wimbledon. And he's won three and he's lost four. Is that par? Well, it's not new par. Is it? It's better than his old par, which mm. was being on the Challenger Tour, you know, not even getting to play ATP yeah. level matches. You know, three wins at tour level. It's not that long ago that he would have snapped your hand off for that. But relative to adjusted, ex- adjusted expectations of him, especially with what part of the season we're in, quick, hard courts, night sessions, the sort of situations that we predicted would suit him down to the ground. No, it's subpar, which is sport's worst turn of phrase, isn't it? Because it means the absolute opposite of what it expresses. But anyway, I I think you know what I mean. (laughs) It's disappointing. He's somebody that I was so looking forward to seeing on this swing and seeing coming up against the top guys and maybe not always winning or even winning much but making things fun and being a disruptor you know seeing top players having to face him for the first time and problem solve and because he's losing he's not playing that many matches and we're not getting to see an awful lot of that I mean look he's not alone there have been quite a lot of upsets in Cincinnati this week it's it's all shaping up quite jaggedly um, on the men's side of things, Tiafo is gone. The 10th seed, he's lost to Stan Varinka. His summer has been subpar, significantly subpar. Um, last night, I actually rewatched his episode of Breakpoint because I've got a friend staying with me at the moment and she's a big tennis fan um, but hasn't had a chance to watch the second half of the series. And I said, I'd quite like to... Re rewatch that episode, get me pumped up for the US Open. I mean, I don't need pumping up for the US Open, but I thought, oh, that that'd be fun. And there was a there was a point in the episode where my friend Felicity she went, oh, he's such a tease, Tiafo, isn't he? And that really 
sums him up. I feel like he's teased us with what could be and is failing to deliver on it. I don't, and I don't quite know what's going wrong because he really looks like the same guy. He looks like he's doing all the same things and maybe it's a process, not outcome situation. But remembering back to his press conferences at Wimbledon, he's got a, a really heightened awareness that your your moments in tennis don't last long. Your peak doesn't necessarily last all that long. Your opening and he feels like he's in his now and Yes, process not outcome is a is a thing. And I know you're thinking, if Catherine keeps with this process not outcome thing, this is going to be a boring podcast for the years to come. Um, but, you know, at some point there has to be an outcome, right? You can't just process, 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 retire. Like, yeah, you should be focusing on the process, but you're doing that in order to get some outcomes. And he would have had such high hopes for this portion of this season and it could still happen but it's going to have to happen out of nowhere now with points to defend in New York mm. I mean he has said that he is so motivated by big events and slams and you know the US Open in particular I, I, I maybe it's just based off that one run at the US Open last year but i in, in my mind i sort of think of him as a as a different player in new york and and that that ability to light up the night session and be swept up by by the crowd and the buzz and the atmosphere in new york i think i'll probably be judging him more after new york like i think it is possible that he could flick a switch and turn it on out of nowhere in new york and i mean his losses since wimbledon I mean, I know he was very disappointed with his performance at Wimbledon in particular. He was, you know, he thought he sort of disgraced himself on the court that day. You just said at Wimbledon like you were doing the <laughs> I was thinking that. leave the grounds <laughs> announcement oh, at no. Wimbledon. Oh, that's a new thing to be <laughs> Did you hear that self-conscious too, about. Great. Yeah. Johnny Perkins is in there. You, you paused for a split second in the sentence. At Wimbledon. At Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs> As you were, Matt. Well, it it can't be as I was. I will be thinking about that forever now. Anyway, um, his his losses have been Dan Evans, who who was you know inspired that week and and went on to win the title. Milos Raonic, who look, I, I think he should be beating Milos Raonic, but that was awkward against Raonic. He was pretty inspired playing at home and just serving him off the court. And then last night against Tam Wawrinka, he. He, he he ran into to vintage Wawrinka. I mean, it was extraordinary watching that back this morning. I, I, I sort of seen a lot of reports that Wawrinka was playing really well. And I was like, you know, part of me was like, yeah, I, I, I bet he hit a few great backhands and people were getting overexcited. But actually, I, I watched it all. And, <laughs> and this is Matt saying that. Yeah, <laughs> I watched it all. And my God, he was brilliant. And like, his comments afterwards, he's really pleased with how he's playing now, Stan Wawrinka. And he was doing everything. Well, it was like vintage Wawrinka. It really was great. So, I don't know. I think all of the results you can individually sort of explain. But it, I suppose it's just the sort of cumulatively, you would expect him to maybe have won one of those matches that he's lost. But he's put such emphasis on the US Open. So, I'm, I'm willing to sort that. of 
wait and see and and junction by that yeah we could possibly we could there's an argument we could have had another throwback section of of this pod like we did a week ago with Sam Varinka and Guillermo Fis rolling back the years um my brother sent the message that I've been anticipating for some days and weeks now, which is, is it just possible that Germain could do the impossible at the US Open? And of course, he quoted me, I only need one. Oh, yeah, I, I know. That. And now that I've heard, now that I'm hearing, I only need one in my head again. I'm having all sorts of stupid, sentimental, silly, romantic thoughts. I know. You're all rolling your eyes at me. I know. But a moment of indulgence, if you please. Imagine. He's already <laughs> playing way better tennis than we all thought he would ever play again. Am mm, I right? Yeah. No, play, playing way more matches than I even thought he'd be able to play. And um, I mean, one of my favorite words in tennis podcast vernacular is imagine so i loved hearing that but but yeah i'd agree and even but even a couple of days ago i think first of all when you saw him get through and win that incredible match at the french open assumed that was the moment that we would remember him by and then his body failed and then he comes up a couple of days ago and i saw tamani cariel of the guardian who's in cincinnati say Monfils is struggling with his with his knee in this in the match that he was watching. I think that was the one against Cameron Norrie, mm. and he was you know people everybody's talking about it on on Twitter. I'm I'm not watching the match. I'm just sort of following it on that, and I'm seeing screenshots of Monfils grimacing and, and wincing, and I'm thinking, oh god, you know, just don't want to see that. I don't I just want to if he gets beaten by Norrie or whoever it is, okay, just don't do this to him with a knee injury. He wins the match, and then he goes and wins the next one. I mean, I can't remember who he beat yesterday, but it was somebody good. Alex Dimonor, who's been in great form. Oh, there you go. Although, we do now know who Gael Monfils is playing. I was really excited about this Gael Monfils run, and, and, and then I looked at the draw, mm. and he's playing Novak Djokovic for the 19th time, having lost yeah, the, all The 18th. problem with rolling back the years for Gael Monfils is that he's rolling back to all the years when he was consistently losing to, to Novak Djokovic. That is an astonishing head-to-head. I mean, wild. Maybe it shouldn't be because Djokovic is that good, but to think that they've gone through... Best part of two decades playing one another when Djokovic was was really young and Monfils was the senior of the two, and to not beat him once is amazing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a depressing head to head because it's just a match that you it, it's Gasquet Nadal, isn't it? You just cross it off the schedule. Um, <laughs> yes, shouldn't right. say things like this before the event has happened because it could lead to significant egg on face but and I'm sure anyone anyone trying to hype that match will point to the fact that you know Monfils as we've said he's been doing a lot of winning recently he's won I think five matches against top 30 players in the last few weeks you know really good wins and Novak Djokovic has played one set since Wimbledon you know it might be a good time to try and catch Novak Djokovic but you know, we know that tennis is matchups, and that one clearly is is a bad one for Monfils. Rust. Yeah, or not. that one set six four over Alejandro Davidovich Fakina before Davidovich Fakina retired. Do we have 
any takes on Novak Djokovic and where he's at, or is it just impossible on the basis of that one set? I mean, I I don't have any takes, so it's it's fine if you don't either. <laughs> Blank <No>. faces. Okay. <clears throat> Should have checked. Should have checked before answering that question. I did suspect sad, that would really, be the case, I mean, but mm. yeah. Because yeah. It, like Davidovich Fikina had had such a good week before that, and in, on a surface that there's no reason why he shouldn't be good on it, but I'm not. I think of him as a as ostensibly clay court specialist, and but he showed in that run that he can do it, and I, and I just would have loved to have seen a fully fit Davidovich Fikina for the whole match, giving it a go against Djokovic, and we didn't get to see that. And it's just I hope he's not really badly injured. I mean, it, he pulled up pretty nastily at the time. Um, I, w- I will offer you just. A crumb of hope for Monfils, uh, historically, which is that Tim Henman arrived into his seventh match against Pete Sampras 6-0 down and won the seventh in Cincinnati. And there were a few clips of that being shown on uh, social media this week. And he also arrived uh, 8-0 down against Leighton Hewitt and won their ninth match. But that's not 18-0, is it? (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of... A lot of Tim Hemman stats. <laughs> well, th- that's what I've got in my head, Catherine. Like okay. the nineties. I do. Rem- I do remember him finally beating Nathan Hewitt. Um, staying with the men's for a few moments. Another handful of upsets for you: Casper Ruud losing to Max Purcell six four in the third. Andre Rublev losing out to Emil Ruiz-Savori seven six in the third. Holger Rune retired against Mackenzie McDonald, trading by a set and a break, and Yannick Sinner losing to Dusan Lajevic in two straight sets. Maybe we should take Sinner um, apart from those handful of upsets. Is this just sort of run-of-the-mill tours, ups, ups and downs, or do, do we have any specific takes on any of these defeats other than... There's a huge amount of depth in the game and particularly at tour level versus Grand Slam level, these sort of upsets can happen. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the overall take. I do think the the sort of chasing pack of players, you know, Rude, Rublev, Runa, you know, all of those that we've just listed are not as much of a sort of bankers as we've had as sort of chasing pack players in in the last 10 years so you know they're they're young they're still sort of jostling they've all they've all shown a a really good peak level but also they've all shown some inconsistency and yeah I think yeah they're not Thomas Burdick are they no they're not or David Ferrer or Joe Wilford Songer Mm. you know who, who were who were reliably getting to the latter stages and losing to the best players I think you know these players are all great, but they're a bit Even more Kane susceptible to upsets. Even Kane Ishikori. You could rely on him to get to a quarterfinal and lose to Djokovic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about Runa. He he has lost every match he's played since Wimbledon. Uh, two of them were in the Hotman Cup and then to to Garonne in, in Canada and uh, having to retire against McDonald. I, th- I think he's doing that thing of he's done it quite a lot, playing through little niggles and injuries. And I think it was the wrist to, towards the start of the year. Now I think it's the back. 
something's not right there with with Runa, and that's that's quite a concern at the moment. I would say for him. Hmm. Tricky stage of his career where it's probably the first season he started getting appearance fees. For example, the first season where there, you know, there feels like a massive cost to not playing. I'm not suggesting that is the decision-making uh, train of thought, but that is a thing that happens to tennis players in their second season after a breakout. The the, the shape of everything changes. Sponsored demands. Um, all of your parameters and metrics of success suddenly you've got stakeholders in you it's all just different and weird um and i went really big on my runa hype um i still think he's got the goods but this worries me as well um because his body is so maxed out isn't it and that physicality is so much a part of who he is as a tennis player he cannot afford to be frail because it's not a it's not a big bulky beefy Stan Wawrinka like strength it's a sinewy strength it's a Djokovic like strength and I think it needs to be so finely tuned to work I don't don't think he can just sort of bruiser his way through niggles um so yeah agree concern for him Yannick Sinner losing to Dusan Lajovic thoughts feelings surprise levels I um I I find it a bit disappointing really given that he's come in as the champion to and look Dusan Lajovic is a good player who has had some good weeks this year uh producing some good results and I I'm aware that it's very easy to just not factor him into a result but the guy has just won on the same surface the week before and I think it's a shame when they don't back it up at all but you look at the the results that have come in the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of that. Dan Evans had that week of his life in Washington and he's lost both of the matches since then. Um, it, it isn't easy to, to, to back these things up. Again, I think it makes me think of Jessica Bagula, who lost her first set the other day and still ends up winning her match because she's just such a pro. I'm not saying that Sinner's not a pro, but I mean, it's... Some people have just got that ability to reset and go again. And I, I suppose it points to how bloody hard it is to play back-to-back Masters 1000 events like that. There's not been many that have won them both. I think of Pat Rafter, Rafael Nadal's done it. You know, there's a couple of others. Um, but it's it's tough. But I still feel like um, Sinner has... Yeah, it, it, it makes me question him just a little bit because, you know, now he's got to go and... Back it up at a grand slam. I suppose there's a slight element here that, given how kind of weird some of the last few seasons have been because of COVID and and this quite gradual um, this gradual arrival of the two week Masters events, like I can't imagine that Sinner will have played that many back to back one week Masters events after each other. Certainly not that many after he's just... I mean, he'd never won one, had he? So he's certainly not had that experience before. And I, I don't know, it feels like maybe that's part of the reason why we're seeing some of these upsets for these younger players. You know, maybe they're just not so used to that sort of quick turnaround in these big events as maybe some of the older players who have grown up their whole career doing it 
maybe they are more used to it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's a slight factor in why we're seeing some some surprises. But there is a really um, interesting, well, quite interesting um, factor to all this, and that's the number four seed at the U.S. Open. Like I think everyone would say that uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz are you know clearly one and two in in men's tennis at the moment. Medvedev at the US Open, given he's won that event, given he's proved himself in slams, given he's a hard court specialist, he, he would probably be, you know, third. So you want to avoid them as much as you can in the draw. And obviously that that fourth seed is what is what protects you from them until the semifinals. And at the moment, Holger Runa is in that position. But obviously him going out has, has left the door open, except Rublev hasn't been able to take advantage, nor's Rude, nor's Sinner. And actually, Stefanos Tsitsipas is the only guy left who I think can take that uh, number four seeding at the US Open from Rune. I think he needs to get to the semifinals in Cincinnati this week. So so two more wins against either, well, Herkacz and then either Popperin or Rusevori. So that, that, you know, that's not easy. Those are tough matches, but that's that's quite a lot at stake, I would say, for Tsitsipas, given that He's not got a particularly good record at the U.S. Open. You'd have, you'd have thought, okay, doesn't impact what his first week's going to look like. He's still got to get through that first week. But if he can be the fourth seed, that would um, certainly help him if he were to get to the quarterfinals. Just, just avoid Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Djokovic. So yeah, there's there's been quite a lot at stake there, and most of them haven't been able to take advantage. But let's see whether Sitsipas can. Mm, um, very good point. Uh, Sitsipas beat Ben Shelton last night in two tie breaks now plays her catch David you watched that match there's quite a lot of Ben Shelton negativity around that is completely unwarranted sort of people saying oh you're nowhere near as good as the hype Um, the hype being the fact that he reached a Grand Slam quarterfinal out of nowhere and um, you know, we said at the time, great, great result, but extremely raw game, lots and lots to work on. I see this as a sort of fact-finding year, just figuring out what life on tour looks like for him, trying to trying to enjoy it. I don't know what the future holds, but you know, you're you're taking Stefano Sitsipas to tie breaks. Okay, you're not you're not winning them, but it's not all bad. Not at all. I I hundred percent agree. And and to me, we were talking about what's par for Christopher Eubanks. I I'd say if if I'm Ben's dad, Brian, who he, who's now coaching him full time, I had the pleasure of meeting him at Wimbledon and had a chat with him. I think Ben is doing exactly what you would hope he would be doing. Yes, maybe you want him to win a few more of the matches that he plays. Of course, you want him to win as many as he as he, as he can. But he looks really good and is developing nicely he he got a he was the man who beat Eubanks actually in Cincinnati and it was, was close but he won he won the match um he took Sitsabas to these tie breaks he didn't look like winning he just looked like keeping it really really close and all the way through the sets I kept thinking this is going to be decided by a few points because Shelton's serve is it's a mule kick of a serve that that left-handed delivery and he is athletic and he can rally he's good enough to rally with Sitsipas but you could just tell Sitsipas knows how to construct and win important points and really just turn it on and tighten it up and there'd be just those one or two loose shots from Shelton when it really mattered and that's what decided both of the tie breaks it it, it kind of 
It wasn't a surprise at all. I don't necessarily expect Shelton to have a great run at the US Open, but I'd be really encouraged for him for future years. Matt, your um, your Cotton Eye Joe moment for this week involves a bee, or rather a woman impersonating a bee? <laughs> yeah, and and also Stefanos Tsitsipas, which sort of makes sense that in, in, a, in a very weird situation, Stefanos Tsitsipas found himself at the centre of it. I actually thought he... He dealt with it quite well. Didn't he? Yeah. yeah. I was really, it was sort of the most mature I've ever seen him be. No pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, if you just, if you just sort of sent me the transcript of the exchange, what's wrong? There's someone behind me imitating a bee and told me to, to <laughs> guess the context. I probably would have said, I don't know, primary school. And, and, and yet it was the sort of main core of a, of a big tennis event. He was very keen that she not be thrown out. He just, he, he was, to the umpire, he was like, I'll manage the yeah. situation. Don't worry, I've got this. Unlike the person <laughs> sitting behind her. Did you notice that? That, that the guy in the crowd was like yeah. pointing at her. It's her, like sort of telling yeah. on her. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I was sat behind, in like, if I was sat where they were sat, like on the front rows, and there was a woman in front of me, giving us all a bad name by doing B sounds just as the player was about to serve. Yeah, I'd be calling them out as mm. well. Yeah. And also very keen to make it clear it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I am in full possession of my marbles. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I thought Sitsipas navigated that extremely bizarre situation masterfully. Um, I watched Felix Auger-Aliassim beat Matteo Berrettini in the opening round, or rather I I dipped in and out of that match. I watched quite a lot of it, and I was really impressed with him, particularly because he lost the first set. I thought he just would not have the confidence to come back in that match. And, yeah, Berrettini served, did suddenly drop off a cliff. He was handed a, a bit of a gift there from Auger scene, but he really stepped up to it and showed a belief in his game and in his forehand in particular, that I wasn't expecting to see. I thought his confidence would just be completely shot. But he was playing quite front foot tennis. Um, and they've both got quite similar game styles, haven't they? Auger Aliassime and Berrettini, the sort of mechanical looking backhand and the big beefy forehand that you can do so much more with. Lots lots of running around your your backhand. Um, and I, th- I thought that was pretty big for Gelliasim, and then he loses to Adrian Manorino. Now, is that a reversion to the recent Gelliasim mi- mean, or is that anyone can lose to Adrian Manorino? That's a good question. I, I feel it could be a bit of both really because Manorino is the last person you want to play if you're anything short of your most confident and and have your conviction about your game Ogeliasim at the end of last year he'd have beaten Adrian Manorino comfortably when he was winning those Davis Cup ties it was all secure he knew where his head was he knew what he was trying to do and he had total confidence that when he tried to do it he would do it I just don't think that conviction and confidence and security is there at the moment. 
And is that because of the injuries had and, and that taking his stability away? Is Has that then led on to losses that then get it to his head? Don't know the exact reasons, but he doesn't look convincing to me. And and it, the, the bit of that match I saw against Berrettini, I saw two players who looked just really unsure of themselves and I didn't watch all of it so so I, I I take your your appraisal of it more than my own Catherine but I just feel like he's searching still for whatever this the mean of his real form is but but he's he's not been good for months and, I, and I'm, I'm sure the injuries played a part in that mm. yeah absolutely rinse and repeat on uh, what Matt and I were saying about him last week I guess um, Zverev's just taking the opening set against Medvedev. Alcaraz, the only player that we haven't really discussed. He's about to play Tommy Paul again, which I'm delighted about because their match last week was brilliant. I, I will happily watch that match again. Thank you very much. And I wonder if Tommy Paul is quite happy to have the chance again to, to beat Carlos Alcaraz. I don't know. Maybe he would have rather played insert name of a lesser player than Carlos Alcaraz here. Um, he took three sets, Alcaraz, to beat Jordan Thompson last night. It was the last match of the day, so it was in the middle of the night for us. Didn't get the chance to watch much. I've, I've watched a few highlights. There are always highlights after a, a Carlos Alcaraz match, and they don't necessarily give you a good impression of what the match was like because it's just a, a collection of moments of brilliance for for Carlos Alcaraz which are wonderful and electrifying but don't necessarily define define the match um, I have seen a lot of footage of him generally looking just like he could not possibly be enjoying life more just fantastically relaxed joining in with Mexican waves during a delay on the court just soaking up everything and loving it just looking completely unaffected by it or rather affected by it all but in in all the good ways and and none of the bad ways and we always say we don't know if that will continue we desperately hope it will continue well it's so far it's continuing touch wood Mm. yeah there was a video that the uh, very good social media team in in Canada put out last week which was to get the players uh, singing the national anthem of Canada and all of them were sort of a bit nervous and and sort of you know wary of of how they might look in the edit and then they just cut to Alcraz and he just sort of belted out of tune oh Canada you know it was it was like yeah he was just happy to be there and involved in that video and I was like yep okay those are the Alcaraz vibes. Wouldn't you love to be the sort of person that when asked to sing <laughs> just out of context on demand, you go, yeah, all right then, mm. and not shrivel up into a ball of self-loathing. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't wait for, for Alcaraz, Tommy Paul uh, rerun. That's going to be fun. Uh, moving on to the WTA, could we have a score update on Sloane Stevens and Marketa Vondrosheva, please? Uh, first set, Vondrosheva 7-5. Stevens got, got the break back, but then Vondrosheva broke again and, and won the set. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Really different flavour in the women's side of things where pretty much all of the big names are still in. Uh, a few of them have come close to not being in. Uh, Elena Rabakina, three sets for her against Yelena Ostapenko last night. That's a, that's a fun match at the moment, Rabakina and Ostapenko. Ostapenko hates Rabakina. <laughs> Why? I don't know whether Ostapenko needs a reason to hate someone. Um, <laughs> but I think it goes back to their match in Rome where, where she, but there was definitely some tension there. And last oh, night... Oh, yes, there was. Yes. Last yeah. night, Rabatkina's sister was in the box roaring. Ostapenko was giving death stares to the Rabatkina box. There was, a, there was a cold handshake, no-look handshake from Ostapenko at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite into those two playing each other. Looking that up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rebecca is still standing. Sabalenka still standing, but she's uh, she's had to tough it out as well. Jabur needed to go all the way to seven six in the third to beat Angelina Kalinina. She was down and out in that match. She's she's not a great closer, Kalinina, and Jabur had to take advantage of that and really surge in in the dying stages. But it was it was ropey. In a lot of places from Jabir. Tough watch, that one. Yeah, it was it was quite stressful, actually, because Jabir was fine. Like, she was a set in the breakup and playing quite well and then suddenly seemed to get quite tight and stressed. And then it really ran away from her. I think she was 5-1 down in that, in that third set. 
um, it, it all just sort of fell apart for a, about 45 minutes and it really looked like she was going to lose, as you say. And yeah, I, watching that, my mind did go to what we were saying after the Wimbledon final, where it feels like she needs to be a bit of an underdog in, in one of those big grandstand matches to to maybe play a bit more loose and a bit more free. And in this match, it was only when she was suddenly on the brink of defeat and sort of became the underdog in the match where it felt like she was able to free up and start playing her good tennis again. When she was trying to close it out in in two sets, she just inexplicably, it seemed, got quite tight. Uh, But in the end, a good win, I suppose. You know, her her first match since... Since Wimbledon, she probably needed to somehow try and put Wimbledon behind her and getting wins will presumably help to do that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was quite a stressful watch, actually. Um, not the sort of fun that you usually associate with Ons Jabeur. And, and, and she's now got another another tough one against uh, Donna Vekic, who's had two two very impressive uh, tight wins and I, I did notice Vekic on court after after the match yesterday knowing that she was going to play on Shabur she said that they practiced together at Wimbledon and Donna said I told my coach that I'm never practicing with her again <laughs> presumably because of all the the slice and the variety and maybe not just a good practice partner not someone who's going to give you a lot of rhythm and and a lot of balls so um yeah she said it in a nice sort of jokey way I don't I don't think there's any any beef between them but um yeah intrigued to see how that one goes yeah big couple of wins for Donna Vecchia it's Jennifer Brady and a hard fought win over Victoria Azarenka overnight last night she'll she'll already be pleased with that week Donna Vekic and I'd say she's got a chance against Anne Schreber she really shows up for that one Pagula just keeps on showing up and toughing it out she was in such a tussle against Martina Trevisan and I I did it crossed my mind, you know, does, does she really have the motivation in the stomach given, given she's she already had a, a great hardcore season, she's got what she needs ahead of the US Open, she might already be feeling a bit overcooked and in need of a, a rest ahead of a Grand Slam, which she presumably has significant ambitions of winning. Does she really have the fire in the belly to get into the trenches to win this one? Well... She made me look silly for that thought even crossing my mind because, I mean, she she lives in the trenches, doesn't she? She loves it there, David. Well, it crossed my mind too when I saw her lose that first set because you you, you, you do ask yourself the question, is this hitting the wall? Is this last week was, as maybe Yannick Sinner found it, a lot, a great achievement and blimey now, got to go again from the start at another tournament, same level, blimey now, it's a, it's a big ask. I think, and I have such admiration for her. I, she, she's growing on me more and more all the time. Just what what an admirable character she is, and I and I, I I am starting to enjoy watching her play more. And I just somebody who just keeps showing up when they're not necessarily part of the conversation as much as those three particular big names at the top of the sport. And then we had the little flirtation of Barbora Krachikova maybe being in that group as well, and Pagula. Yes, she's had some disappointments at the Grand Slams, and I think there's still a massive question mark there. But week in, week out, 
she comes and she plays and she produces and I, and I'm I'm here for that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Carolina Mukova is having a week. Two tough wins for her. Beatrice Haddad Meyer. She looked shit down and out in that one. She lost the opening set. She was having treatment. I was talking about the curse again on the WhatsApp group. Um, decided to switch over to another match because couldn't bear to watch injured Mukova again. Check the scores. She had won. <laughs> and she backed it up with a win over Petra Martic as well. Now plays Maria Sakkari. Of course, it was Sakkari that Mukova beat in the opening round of Roland Garros, wasn't it? To kind of take up her seeding and scheduled path through that draw. Uh, Coco Goff beat Maya Sharif. 6262 and now plays Lyndon Noskova, who I think won a checkoff with Petra Kvitova, didn't she? That match was happening yesterday, was keeping an eye on it. Um, Sviontek is rolling, beat Daniel Collins 616 love. Didn't understand really why Daniel Collins wasn't able to make that match closer. She was awful. She played a kind of dumb, dumb match. It felt like she not gave up. She was still sort of physically putting the effort in. She wasn't giving up on points, but it felt to me like her mind checked out of that. And she just thought, I've got no chance here. I'm just going to kind of bash the ball around. Uh, And the scoreline reflected that. One in love for Svantec. Zhang Wen next for Svantec. Of course, we all have made our assessments of Zhengxin well maybe I'm speaking for you and I shouldn't but I feel like I've made my assessment of how good Zhengxin Wen can be on the basis of one set she won against Iga Svantec at the French Open last year Um, and she she hasn't done what I thought she would do since then she's still incredibly young and I believe she has the talent still to to kick on and and achieve good things but I'm interested to see her to see where she stacks up against Svantec 14 months on yeah me too it's 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 such a tennis thing how like you know it's very possible that we'd be doing quite a big section on this podcast if if yesterday's match against Venus Williams had had, had had gone differently, you know Venus Williams was was a set and two love up against Shunqin Wen before, you know, and really playing well, crushing the ball. It was it was incredible. It was it was backing up a a top twenty win that Venus Williams had had over Veronica Kudermetova a couple of days before. Just just you know, great to see. And yet, from a Shunqin Wen perspective, it was like, well, you know, what's happening here? But then she gets through that match, wins, you know, I think 12 of the last 13 games. And now I'm really interested to see how she fares against Igor Sviontek again. It's, it's, it's just narratives of players can, can just change so, so quickly in tennis that it's, it's, it's always so difficult to grasp sort of what, even, even what kind of form a player is in. Because yesterday was such a match of two halves. Is, is the first half... Zhang Wen going to show up, in which case she's not winning many games against Igor Sviontek, or is the Zhang Wen that we know she can be going to show up, in which case I think she can really push Sviontek. It, I always, it's always sort of fascinating to me how how thin the line seems to be between those two. Um, but yeah, 
you're right. I think it was that match against Sviontek that really brought brought it to everyone's attention just how good she could be. But the signs have been good recently. Partnered with Wimperset, won her first title. This is an opportunity now to, you know, to push on again. Even if she loses, I think I think it, it would be it'd be nice to see her perform well and, and, and have another big moment. It feels like she hasn't had that, that moment for a year or so. Yeah, it was awesome seeing Venus Williams beat oh. Veronica Kudamitova. It was it was absolutely awesome. Um and I told I was expecting that to be just a cool, awesome moment in itself. It, I hadn't got my hopes up for her continuing the run. And then there she is, a set and a break up against Junshin Wen. And the stats already been produced about it. The fact that it had it happened, it would have been uh, the first time she's won back-to-back matches in four years. And yeah, I, I, I suddenly was like, this is just the absolute coolest thing ever. And I, I should have, I should have just settled settled for the moment because <laughs> as we know it is the hope that kills but venus is venus is an absolute queen and i'm assuming she's got a us open wild card i saw she the has, men's yeah. wild cards have been announced of the women's as well yep, yeah it'll be her great. It'll be her 24th us open <laughs> blooming heck that's that's bonkers we, I mean, I, I I remember watching live her final against Martina Hingis and waking up in the middle of the night to watch it. I think here in the UK, it was. Um, but you 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 were you were one years one year old, Matt, at the time. Yes. So I was. So he might I was, have been I was quite likely awake in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's mad. Wow. Would um. Would anyone care to make predictions at this stage of proceedings? And don't just stick with the prediction you made at the beginning of the week for the sake of it. I want to genuinely know on the basis of, you know, having seen four days of this tournament already so far, who who you think's winning each title? Well, Catherine, you, you handed me the Coco Goff baton from last week and I've dutifully picked it up uh for the predictions but i have to be honest a lot of that was points based i there were there are i don't know how many but there were a lot of points on offer for coco goff i do think she is looking good i i am increasingly persuaded by her and the brad gilbert involvement and the what he did with andy roddick's backhand when he first took over him 20 years ago just makes me think of of the effects he can have and and the, the ways he maybe has helped clear her mind but then i still come back to what you said the other day what happens if and when she faces Iga Sviantek and i believe she's well she's in the same half of the draw as her and Sviantek is looking really good, so I expect her to win. I still think when everything happens if and everybody plays their best tennis, I expect Sviantek to win. So I'd go for her. And in the Even if she plays Rebecca? Yes, at the moment. I, I, I would have concerns over Rebecca just physically uh, after last week. And I, mm. The US Open will be very interesting to me because I think when those two and so, when, when those top three play their best tennis, it's very, very close, I feel. You could, you could really choose any of them and, and, and it might just be on the day. In the men's, I, I would probably go for Djokovic just because he, he just looks balanced. He looks fresh and uh, I don't know, I'd, st- I'd still go with him. Matt, 
Well, unlike David, I'm doing badly in the predictions. So I have to make predictions that I think are going to happen. And, and, and I did go with Igor Svantec. Uh, so I will, I will stick with that. Kind of for all the reasons David's just said. Also, I think, I think a lot of the players that I would expect to push her might be tired or kind of running out of gas a little bit. You know, Rabatkina, Sabalenka hasn't been particularly convincing last couple of tournaments. Pagula, you know, she might hit the wall at some point over the next few rounds. Like, it it feels like Sviontek probably should win this tournament. Um, so I'll go with her. Men's side, I find it so hard just because I've got, I've got very little to go on with Djokovic. But, I mean, other than, you know, 15 years of him winning everything, obviously. Uh, but in in this moment, I don't know how he's looking so much. Uh, I'll I'll go Alcaraz. On, uh, on the same basis as last week, if Alcaraz is in a draw. Yeah, I tend to pick him. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Catherine, I'm not impressed with Medvedev from what I've been watching in this no. match. He's a, he's a set and two one. He's what he's what two one up in the second, but he's it's been so error strewn. It's really not been a good match at all. He looks look. I know he's not a power player, but he looks underpowered to me. Yeah, and when he tries um, to heave the ball, he's missing. Zverev really seems yeah. like he's only got a rally, and and eventually Medvedev misses. Look, I only picked him because. Once again, I was too slow off the mark and I, I missed the pick I really wanted. Who was that? Um, I wanted Sabalenka. Oh, I don't okay. think... I, I think I would pick Svantec now, but I guess Sabalenka's got a chance. Um, but uh, I, I watched Medvedev last week and he he, he wasn't there at all. He, he looked like his heart wasn't... I can't quite remember who he lost to, but he Dimonor. looked Dimonor. like... Right, yeah. He looked... I mean, he was... 5-1 up in the first set tiebreak in that match, I think. Um, so, or maybe even 6-1, actually. Should have won that first set. But when he didn't, it looked to me like he didn't have the stomach for that fight. And I thought, okay, yeah, he will he will recognise that wasn't good enough and that he'll need to, to find something this week in Cincinnati. And I know he, he loves Cincinnati, You've got a good record there. I just, I don't know. I was wrong. <laughs> Long story short, because you're right, David. Um, he looks, I mean, looks. he looks a way off beating Zverev at, a mo- at the moment, let alone beating any top player and winning the title here. So, um, yeah, weird. I really wasn't expecting him to have a dip in form on the US hard courts. Was, was not expecting that at all. Um, don't quite know what to read into it. I suspect, I mean, his pre-tournament press conferences are always a joy, aren't they? But I suspect his, I mean, look, he's still in this tournament, but I suspect his pre-US Open press conference might be fascinating because he's honest, isn't he? He'll tell us how he's feeling and and what's going on in his head. Um, so that is it, I think, for your, well, not for Cincinnati, there's still three and a half more days of that and we'll be back to wrap it up on monday a pod that all being well (laughs) will be recorded or at least two-thirds recorded from heathrow airport again what could go wrong uh one third recorded in solly hull um i expect to be very excited and pumped i am i mean i'm i'm always pumped for for grand slam trips 
they are it i mean it's just an absolute treat and a privilege that we get to go to the four grand slams for the pod but going to new york for the us open is um, maybe it's because i i did it as a kid with my dad a couple of times going going specifically to new york as a fan for the us open that it it sort of triggers those memories for me but i am excited so expect those vibes on Monday's podcast. If you can't wait till then for your next podcast and you're a friend of the tennis podcast, then you're in luck. If you're not a friend of the tennis podcast, then you know how to sort that out. Because yesterday we recorded the Kim Clijsters story. It's up and it's available for friends. Our latest edition of Tennis Relived, the US Open edition for this year. It includes her finally winning a Grand Slam final at the fifth attempt at Flushing Meadows in 2005, something, of course, that we ended up serendipitously talking a lot about in the last stages of Wimbledon this year, pertaining to uh, to Ons Jabeur, of course. But we also talk about her incredible comeback after retirement and giving birth to her daughter Jada to win the US Open in 2009 as a wild card. Um, It's a moment that will make you smile to relive the scenes of Kim and her daughter celebrating uh, on the court. Scenes that I think live long in the memory of so many tennis fans and a victory that was a mix of emotions for Kim herself. Pretty soon after, I think when I went to the hotel, I kind of had a really bad kind of breakdown moment where um, I guess the reality of it all sinks in. Because after my dad had passed away, you kind of, I got invited to play at Wimbledon um, for the opening of the the roof on center court and uh, and kind of started training. And I guess looking back on it, maybe didn't properly take the time to grieve um, the loss of my father because it was a very intense year and. Um, and then, um, cause I remember there were moments where, you know, my dad, when he wasn't traveling with me, I would kind of always give him a, a call really quickly before a match, if I was a little bit nervous or something. And, and, um, I'd caught myself walking, um, into the locker room and, and I think it was before the match against Venus and started dialing his number real quick. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Like, he's not around anymore. Like what, am, but it was such a habit for me to speak to him even when it was um like nighttime in belgium and um so yeah i had that moment which i i felt like okay it's um the realization of certain losses and and um they kick in and right up it was great and exciting but then after a while it kind of the you 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 think and you have this moment and you relive your the past months years that you've gone through and and I think the reality of it sinks in and um and and the disbelief the yeah like what just happened like how is this possible yeah that just a snippet of the incredible contribution that Kim Kleisters herself made to this podcast she was so generous with her time she told stories and gave perspectives that I've never heard before, despite Kleister's 2009 US Open win being right in the sweet spot of my tennis fandom. I followed that run so closely and I remember those scenes of her and Jada on the court celebrating afterwards so vividly. I still 
learned so much about Kim and and her story um, over the course of that episode. So that is up and available for friends. If you'd like to become a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes. Already a friend is Katie Sullivan because she has brought today's episode mascot Usher into our lives. Usher is a 12-year-old Labradoodle from British Columbia. Kate and her husband got Usher when they lived in Boston in 2010 as a bribe to the kids to make the move abroad more appealing. He turned out to be an awesome dog who loves people and chasing balls all over Wandsworth Common. Now they're back in the UK. And that is just lovely. Lovely, Katie. And I'm looking at a picture now of Usher. He's staring dead at the camera. Points for that. Not easy with a dog. And he looks like your classic man's best friend. I see a lot of um, a lot of Labradoodles on Wimbledon Common. And they're always just loving life. I mean, dogs do love life, don't they? But Labradoodles are an absolute delight. And Usher looks exactly that. So thank you, Katie. Thank you, Usher. Thank you to our mascots. David's got Maisie. Mine is Xenia and Matt's is Darwin. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss, who are currently in Australia for the conclusion of the Women's World Cup. Woohoo! Yes. Um, uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah, and Drew, and we have shout outs, Matt. Yes, we've got Lindsay Hill, who is in Atlanta. Right, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Like Lindsay Davenport. Yeah. An Atlanta of tennis tournament fame and 1996 Olympics fame. Uh, I heard uh, Lindsay Davenport have a bit of a, a go at the WTA the, the, the other day on Tennis Channel for not having announced the WTA finals date or location yet. Which uh, which I found quite interesting, and yeah, we know nothing. Here we are in August, and we don't know where the WTA finals is going to be or when. So yeah, uh, and I genuinely don't know whether that's because the WTA know but aren't ready to make it public for whatever reason, or whether they don't even know. I I don't know what they know. (laughs) We will try and do some investigations, (laughs) folks. But in the meantime, Lindsay, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. We've also got Jeff and Dina, who are in San Jose. And Jeff says, Last year, I dedicated my shout-out to our beloved dog, Benji, who became the subject of the now infamous Send Me Pictures of Your Woodle incident. (laughs) (laughs) No one sent me pictures of their woodle. Not one. I got you, you were responsible for a very, very enjoyable 20 minutes of me laughing. I know that much. <laughs> oh. Oh. How are we spelling Jeff? Like Tarango? Yes. Oh. Dina, like Dina Asher Smith. It's the World Athletics yeah. Championships starting on Saturday. That's right. Excellent. Well, thank, thank you both. Thank you, Jeff and Dina, for that incredible moment from last year and for being a friend this year as well. Much appreciated. And finally, we've got Kevin Lanky, who is in Indiana. And Kevin says, this is a special shout out to my wife, Steph 
who's joining me for her first live in-person tennis tournament experience in Cincinnati this weekend. Steph's work schedule finally allows us both to go to the tournament together for the first time. Which is lovely. I love that. Have a great time, Steph. And Kevin was uh, part of our Wimbledon newsletter predictions and was the was the only one of us to pick Vondrosheva to win the final against Ons Jabur. Got a number of sets wrong, so unfortunately scored no points. But he did pick Vondrosheva. And I can bring you up-to-date tennis news. Vondrosheva has just beaten Sloane Stephens in straight sets. So Kevin and Steph might be watching Vondrosheva in Cincinnati this weekend. I think that's mm-hmm. a really good win for Vondrosheva. I mean, evidently... I've been podcasting and not watched a single ball of it. But on paper, given how well I saw Sloane Stevens play a couple of days ago, I think that's big. Well done. Are we saying winning winning five of your six matches since Wimbledon? Is that is that well, David? Or or not yet? <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Wellish. <laughs> yeah. Thank Steph you, Steph. Steph and Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I have just one more shout out submission. I would like to say hello and thank you to Denise, Reggie's mum, for knitting us, hand knitting us all bespoke socks in Wimbledon colours. They arrived in the post at my flat yesterday and it was the most wholesome thing that's ever been delivered by the Royal Mail, honestly. <laughs> Um, and they are genuinely lovely. They're so soft. I'm tempted to steal yours and Matt's, to be honest, David. It's just, it's just the loveliest, kindest mm. thing. And oh, we've got so many lovely listeners who do just outrageously generous, kind things just out of the goodness of their hearts. And it restores your faith in people. So thank you for that restoration of faith and for... The wonderful socks, Denise. Yeah, and thank well, you, to, thank you for Denise. producing Reggie. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, thank you for producing Reggie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just on the socks, I'll I'll let you know if they fit because um, I imagine they it took big. quite a bit of took they a bit of wool. I would have thought. Mm. It's like um, you know, Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Baby Bear in Goldilocks. If you if you put the three sets of socks <laughs> next to one another, it looks like that. Uh, content will be made available on our social media, folks. Head to Instagram for more on the bespoke Wimbledon socks knitted by Reggie's mum, Denise. Um, so thank you, Denise. Thank you to all of our friends of the tennis podcast. It is thanks to you that we are headed to New York next week. We'll speak to you Monday, folks. Mm-hmm.